I actually caught my first fish on a fly rod when I was four years old. Ever since that, I'd never picked up a bait rod. This is Miles Sweek, a friend of mine. I live in Stanley, Idaho, and I guide for Silver Creek Outfitters. We're on Silver Creek, the Big Wood, the Big Lost, and the Maine Salmon. Miles looks a bit like that red-headed wildling from Game of Thrones. Gingers are beautiful. They are kissed by fire. Just like you. He's a super funny dude who's always willing to put you in his boat, though you might have to share a seat with his dog. He's a great fisherman, but he also values the resource. A few years ago, I remember catching a 15-inch rainbow while I was with him on the Madison River, and I was so excited that I forgot to wet my hands before I went to grab the fish from the net. Miles sternly reminded me to do so. And I remember for me, like, it was a super, kind of a, almost a lonely start. You know, I didn't know any kids that fly fish. I lived two blocks from the Bigwood River in Idaho, so I was lucky that I could just walk from my house and go fishing. Just me and my dog for the most part of it, you know. And when I was in middle school, my mom would drop me off down at Silver Creek. And that was really a big, big eye-opener for me because Silver Creek's such a famous place. And there's old men down there that have been fishing it for 50, 60 years. And they fish it every day. And all the legends of, like, Hemingway fishing down there and how big the fish are and how hard the other catch. And just being down there as a little kid and seeing that, number one, like, a lot of guys wouldn't be happy if I was down there, especially if I was, like, fishing streamers and stuff. They're not into that kind of thing especially not nymph and eggs in the fall, you know, and, and I kind of showed up not knowing the rules. And that's kind of where I first learned to really respect, like, that old-style culture. And, like, I think it was a cool way to grow up, kind of surrounded by people that were four or five times as old as I was because they were just the only people that did it, you know, that I knew did it. And then, like, you know, I got into high school and I started fishing with one of my buddies who would come with me and spin fish most of the time. You know, and then eventually getting into high school, he started fly fishing, you know, and he started tying his flies. And then a few other kids, like, from our school started fly fishing. And that was really cool for me to see, like, now finally people are doing it and I had somebody to go with. And and I almost, I almost feel like that was kind of the start and it really just took off. But what is the it that Miles is talking about? When I was a kid and I was down there, I was like 12 years old in Silver Creek. I wouldn't see another kid down there, you know, 35, who was the next youngest guy down there. And it's just not that way anymore. Like, Excuse me, darling. I have a message for you. I think one of the main reasons is because of social media. A lot of people claim that social media has killed fly fishing. I've heard from old timers that their secret holes are now overrun with youngsters sporting flat-brimmed hats. Lifelong guides are upset by Instagram famous amateurs stealing their sponsorships. And with more people on the river, the number of improperly released fish is going up. But social media has also definitely been positive for parts of the fly fishing microcosm. Platforms for discussing conservation have expanded. Information is everywhere, which helps welcome newcomers to the sport. And there's now a community with whom folks like Young Miles can share their passion, even if none of their friends are into fly fishing. So I went around asking how social media has been good or bad or both for fly fishing. And I also looked into our responsibilities as anglers when it comes to this rapidly evolving, increasingly overshared world. Stick around. For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is sponsored by Scott Flyrods. Last week, I chatted with Mike Schultz of Schultz Outfitters in Ypsilanti, Michigan. 
and he gave me some more good tape about why he trusts Scott Fly Rods. I've been fishing Scott Fly Rods for close to 20 years. My local fly shop, uh, when I was a kid, was called Buters Outdoors, and they were super big on Scott. And, you know, I'm pretty proud to say that I bought my first U.S.-made rod from a local fly shop, and it was a Scott SAS. You know, I think one thing in our sport that we do lose some people right out the gate is when they pick up inferior gear, you know, uh, i.e. like kits that don't have the proper fly lines, you know. I had a guy hit me up today that was like, hey, I want to go steelhead fishing, you know, is this a good kit? And he sends me a, you know, $199 kit. Not that it's a bad setup, it's just, you know, you know what would happen if he went out and tried to throw an indicator with split shot and multiple fly rig with a nine foot eight weight, you know, it's just not gonna work, you know, it's good. he's gonna get frustrated. So I think you go to a local fly shop that knows what they're doing. If you go in with an open mind, they're gonna steer you towards something that's gonna work. Here I am, <laughs> own a fly shop, guide, you know, wherever I may be in this industry, I don't know. That's where it all started, man. Bought a Scott Fly Rod. <laughs> Check them out at scottflyrod.com. We're also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. My name is Camille Egdorf. I work at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures in Bozeman, Montana, and we are a travel agent specializing in fly fishing travel all over the globe. I checked in to ask about one of her favorite places in the world. So I went up to Alaska to do two hosted trips for Yellow Dog, took a couple groups up to my parents' place on the upper Nushigak, and uh, yeah, spent two weeks targeting rainbow trout, grayling, dolly varden, you know, several different species of Pacific salmon. The state really comes alive during the summer, and, and it solely evolves around the salmon that are there. Being able to share that with others and, and see other people light up when they see the spawning event and catch that 24 to 25-inch rainbow on a mouse and seeing the bald eagles and the bears, it's a special experience. And uh, being able to share it with others is probably one of the coolest things. You can find them at yellowdogflyfishing.com or type in Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures on any of your social media platforms. Speaking of social media... Back to the show. Right about the time that Miles noticed a change in the air, a young couple were starting their post-collegiate lives. We're Garrison and Corinne Doctor. We are married to each other. Business partners <laughs> as well as life partners. Yeah, and adventure partners. And adventure partners. <laughs> Corinne and Garrison are in their early 30s. They're the couple that you see on the river and you think, man, I wish my significant other was that into fly fishing. I was self-employed doing architectural marketing renderings. Corinne was a Spanish teacher. Well, I wasn't a Spanish teacher yet. Working towards <laughs> being a Spanish teacher. <laughs> yeah. I was back in school getting my teaching license yeah. and working in the school system as a secretary. But this good life didn't last for long. Panic. Around the world, stock markets continued their terrifying plunge. More people are now predicting a worldwide recession, including for- The recession really hurt my business that I had started directly out of college. That pretty much dried up. So I was bouncing around doing a few different jobs, but also working and guiding primarily at one of our local fly shops. Fly fishing has always been a passion for me. When I was working in the shop and guiding, it just seemed like, especially apparel-wise and hat-wise, Everything that was out there was a big brand hat or a hat for a specific shop in a specific town in a specific location. And I was like, well, I think it would be really cool if there was a hat that says, I like Colorado and I like to fish. And so started working on some designs and bouncing some ideas off to Corinne and Corinne had some great ideas. And uh, you know, we came up with a couple of initial designs and it was just, uh, I mean, I would literally show up at the shop 
put a couple hats on the counter and say, hey, do you guys want to sell a couple of these? And you've probably seen some of these hats because Corinne and Garrison are the founders and owners of Rep Your Water Fly Fishing Apparel. They make those hats with fish and states on them. And a few of them said, all right, we'll take a dozen. And usually they would call me after the weekend and say, hey, we sold all of those on Saturday. Do you guys have a couple more of them? And then all of a sudden, you know, we're going and we have some traction. The doctors had found a niche, but what really changed their company is also what Miles claims changed Silver Creek in Idaho. When did you guys start working within the world of social media? Well, it was pretty much right when Instagram became a thing. I had a personal Instagram and I didn't really understand what to do with it, but <laughs> and then I was like, Garrison, I think we could do one that just has fishing pictures and our products. And I think this was still when we only had the three or four different designs. So the very first picture on our Instagram is incredibly embarrassing. So that's your very first Rep Your Water post right there. October 26, 2012. Five years ago yesterday. Five years How ago yesterday. How cute is that? Yep. That Super <laughs> embarrassing. The picture isn't all that great. Yep, 18 <laughs> likes on that sucker. Super and popular. Can you, can you pull up your most recent post and how many likes you have on that? So the most recent post was from this morning, um, three hours ago, has just over 2,000 likes. And how many followers do you guys have? Uh, we just cleared 113K which within the very small world of fly fishing is a lot of followers. But how did they get there? I think a lot of it was timing, it was when we when we got in. We were obviously really small, but our content um, was decent. And I think we just, we got in at a good time where we were able to grow. And you know how the algorithms on these things work. If you start coming up as the recommended post from anybody who likes something fly fishing related, all of a sudden, your followers start to spool. How has social media impacted the performance of your company? How did it allow you guys to grow? It's been huge for yeah, us. Huge. Uh, just in terms of brand recognition, um, in terms of telling the story of what we do, the products that we have, our regional story, our conservation story, we cannot count how many people at physical shows or customer facing events come up to us and say, we love your Instagram feed. I've been following you on Instagram for forever. It's a incredibly important tool for us still, but in terms of growing to where we are now was even more critical piece. Social media has had some other positive impacts. Can you just say who you are and where we are? Uh, Tom Bai, and we're sitting here at Drake HQ, Denver, Colorado. And to talk about these positives, we have the editor of the Drake making his first appearance on the Drake cast. In terms of keep them wet, it originally started with wild steelhead. Believe it or not, I really think social media plays a huge role in that. I know that there was there was never as many fish held just like that with their nose in the water, trout, steelhead, whatever, prior to social media. And so where does the role of education come into this? informing anglers about the proper practices. A lot of people have these negative thoughts about social media, but I think that's frankly one of the greatest things that's come from it is that peer pressure of people putting their photos out there. And if they're not holding a fish right, they should take some heat for it. And I, I think that that's been a huge educational tool 
whether it was meant to be that or not, because a lot of people look at that and see how to do it uh, properly. We'll hear more from Tom in a bit, but first we're going to chat with one of my favorite interviewees. I have guys every day that walk in here that they're disgusted because they, you know, they just came to fish dry flies. I said, well, terrestrial time, you got, you got one option. Please welcome back Mr. Kelly Gallup. They, well, I want, you know, I was hoping to match a hatch. I said, what? Yeah, what fucking hatch? There is no hatch. I've had guys say I'd rather quit fishing than nymph fish. I go, okay, I, I don't care. <laughs> On to the actual matter at hand. So I've been in this thing for over 40 years, and I think the social media, one of the few good things I can say is that it's actually grown our industry. But what you're seeing is this whole growth of social media driving these kids tying. There's so much info. These kids are like in another realm of great. The social media, I think, is making it, uh, I think it's allowing people to do things a little bit more where they want. I mean, people even embrace Tenkara. I mean, what kind of bullshit's that? Wait, I didn't say that. No. <laughs> and now with social media, it's back. I mean, it's bigger than it's ever been. Like, suddenly, it, you're not an idiot, nuggle-dragon, you know, bubba if you want to go bass fishing. And, I, and I'm seeing the warm water fisheries, the musky thing's been cool. That's growing. The bass fishery's growing. And I'm hoping because of the social media and people just being a little bit more open to anything that's not, you know, just one genre of fly fishing, I'm thinking that's what, it's more like an organic growth all the way across. And this newfound acceptance of all things fly means that more people are fishing. More people fishing means more people are buying rods and reels and guide trips and hats with fish on them. Now, by this point, I'm sure some people are yelling into their smartphones. But what about the negatives? Patience, young Padwan. As social media and fly fishing have grown hand in hand over the past decade, the mind controllers at Instagram and Facebook have gotten smarter. And the algorithms for what you see on these social media platforms have changed. It's harder to get in now, I think, based on those algorithms. It's hard to spool up than it was then. This is Garrison Doctor again. Because they want you to pay for shit. Exactly. They do. And, I mean, now not all of your followers are going to see what you post, right? It depends on how that post is performing, where it's placed. It's not necessarily going to show up in the feeds of all of your followers or in the order of which you post it. So if you have a post that is doing well, all of a sudden it'll place more, it's recommended more, it shows up in more people's feeds, and it sort of exponentially gains traction. And these changes have tended to push pictures of huge fish to the top of your feed, because they get the most likes. But the anglers holding these monsters don't necessarily always have the best interest of the fish in mind. When I was hanging out with Miles a few months back, he had recently gotten into a social media spat with a dude who had posted multiple pictures of a wild steelhead way out of the water. And it wasn't just a wild buck. It was like a wild buck that was pretty beat. You know, like, you could tell this thing had had a fucking time of it. Yeah, and there was, like, multiple photos of a guy, like, full out of the water over the grass. Like, if you want to pick the fish up out of the water for a little shot, like, right in front of you, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Like, what's an amazing fish, but, like, man, keep that thing over the water, like, just from guiding a season, like, people drop fish, fish flop, you know, and one big bang of the head on one rock on the shore, that thing's not going to swim away. Well, the worst part is that it will swim away, and 30 minutes later, it's going to be going down the river. 
told the guy, I was like, Hey man, like that's super not cool. You know, that thing's really had a time of it. Like at least keep it over the water. Yeah. And he took it super, super personally. He was not into it. He was not having it. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, you know, fuck you be like, he was saying like, maybe you haven't caught any fish, you know, this big. So you're, you know, and it's like, man, that's not what it's about, you know, but I guess for him, that is kind of what it's about. But like, shit, I was just bummed. I was like, that's, that was not the point I was trying to make, you know. At the end of the day, this isn't about me and this isn't about you. It's about that buck that just swam 900 miles and it's looking like it's falling apart. Like, let that thing squirt some eggs out. Come on, man. <laughs> and now we're getting into that social pressure and accountability that Tom was talking about earlier on. But there are limitations to this approach as well. But I'm also pretty sensitive to people just starting out in the sport. And I really don't like to see them getting beaten up on social media if they're just new someone goes out and it's the first fish they ever caught and they're holding their little trout or bluegill or whatever it is out of the water and suddenly there's a pile on about that's not how you're supposed to hold a fish it's just it's just in how you say it i always think you should try to just educate as politely as you possibly can but talking about wild steelhead then I may not be super polite <laughs> about it, but it just all, it all depends on the, on that um, circumstance. And though a picture may be worth a thousand words, a photo doesn't necessarily provide the entire story of how that fish was treated. Tom went on to say that just because the photo shows the fish in the water isn't always the answer either, because there's people that will hold that fish underwater thinking that's all I have to do. And then they take 45 pictures of it the fish is trying to swim away, the tail's being held, and I've seen this happen. Saltwater especially, they're waiting for the water to get clear, so they're holding the tail of the permit. It's underwater, it's being kept wet, <laughs> but if they just would have taken it out of the water, taken a handful of quick shots and let it release, it would have been much better off than being kept wet and not being let go for 15 minutes. <laughs> While asking around, a few people also expressed concern about another popular social media activity. Miles actually alluded to it at the beginning. You know, the second somebody catches a 30-inch brown out of the land of the giants or whatever, you know, everyone knows. From like Bozeman to Jackson Hole, everyone knows. It's all over. People are reposting it. This phenomenon goes by many names. Highlighting, hot spotting, selling a river's soul. And it's all over the place on social media. Chief complaint I've heard from anglers is that their spots that they've worked hard to figure out where decent populations of fish are and how to get there are just being given away on social media. Thoughts on that? It's, that's a tough one because I don't... Um... The Drake was founded partly on not doing that sort of thing, right? As a magazine. And I'm very conscious of doing it in social media, on our Instagram page. It's a legitimate concern. But there are guidebooks out there. You don't think people can go to a fly shop or a lodge's website and see exactly... I mean, they're putting tips out there every single day. I always think of... I had a lot of climber friends when I lived up in... Jackson and like world-class mountaineers and one of the things I always remember them talking about was their draw to every mountain just under 8,000 meters 
I think there's 14 mountains above 8,000 meters, and those are on everyone's A-list, right? They want to come back and brag that they got up K2 or Everest or whatever it is. When if you're a real climber, what you really are focusing on is everything under 8,000 because nobody cares about it. I think the same thing about these rivers. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not sure how many, maybe three dozen or so blue ribbon rivers in the state of Colorado, meaning there's creeks in this state, hundreds of them that you can get to on a Saturday afternoon in July where you can walk all day long and not see a person. I guarantee you that there is. I would go to the non-blue ribbon fisheries. And so that's why I, I don't put that much credibility to the people. You're ruining my spot. This was my... Well, how'd you learn about it? Someone told you about it. Did you just discover it? I mean, were you the first one there? And that's... I say all that and yet I agree 100% with being secretive, with lying. The last thing I'd say is before you make a post of any kind, just ask yourself, if that was your home water, if that was what you fished every day, if that's what you spent 20 years learning, how would you feel? I've had to go through it with the Drake for years, thinking, would I put this, would I write this, if it was a place that I fished on a weekly basis there are certain sacrificial lambs out there but just think about how everybody else might think about it if you're giving something away miles had a few thoughts on that issue as well i mean i remember trying to figure out where to go when i was a kid before there was instagram and stuff and it's like you know you'd have to get out maps like i'd be going to the library to like you know look at a map of the littlewood because i didn't even know really where it was you know and now you can like type in the hashtag on Instagram and see a bunch of fish caught out, you know. The other day I was just messing around typing in the hashtag of kind of secret rivers or whatever on Instagram to see what came up. And like every single one of them had at least a few guys that's right there. And so it just makes it so easy to get like such an influx of information. Whereas before that, you know, that information only came from blood, sweat and tears and like putting in the work and, and driving to the wrong place two times, you know. And then finally figuring it out. And now I think there's a lot less patience for people to drive to the wrong place a couple times before they find the right one. And it's a lot easier to do research. And, you know, again, it makes stuff more accessible and more popular, which is good and bad. And again, like removing that barrier has brought a bunch more people in the sport. It's brought a bunch more companies to the table. And it's also brought a bunch more people to the river, which you know, for me, isn't even necessarily bad, but, you know, people need to know that people need to know that like, you know, this isn't the seventies on the Madison anymore. And like, especially with climate change and that sort of thing, like there's already going to be so much more pressure on our resources from, um, you know, outside variables like warming temperatures and invasive species. And, you know, it pretty much seems like every single thing is coming out of our freshwater resources right now. And they, they also happen to be seeing more pressure than they ever have. And so I think this will be a yeah, major crossroads in, in how we take care of them. And, you know, fish, wildlife, and parks isn't going to be able to manage on their own. That's going to have to be every single dude in a drift boat giving a shit and, like, knowing what's going on and knowing when the water temps are too high to take a fish out of the water or the water temps are too high to fish and just be kind of on board about that stuff. And I think more and more as the, all these variables get worse and, compound and it's going to be a lot more important we really manage it as you know a group of anglers that want these resources to maintain 
Anytime there's a shift in the status quo, some people are going to be upset, whether the issue is immigration or race or fly fishing. Those in a position of power supported by the status quo are going to fight against this change. But in each of those examples, can't we also look at the shift as progress? More people are fly fishing than ever before, and that obviously has its drawbacks. But this change is here, and we can either sit on our computers and complain, or we can embrace the evolution and work with it to further our ideals through education, advocacy, and stewardship of this new generation of fly fishers. So if you're a guide, make sure to inform your clients about safe fish handling practices, and even more, how special our resources are. If you're an old timer, take that teenager from your local TU chapter out fishing. And when he hooks into a nine inch brook trout, take a picture of the kid with the fish so he can put it on Instagram. But make sure you tell him why you made him wet his hands and why you made him hold his breath while the fish was out of the water and why you nursed the fish in the current until it swam away on its own. Then crimp the barb on his hook and tell him why you did that. Stick around for this week's Field Notes. Now, I'm sure I missed at least a few sides of this argument, so if you can think of any, shoot me an email at elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T-T, at drakemag.com. Alternatively, post a comment on our website post or on our Facebook post. The irony of that statement does not escape me, but this conversation is far from over. Time for some thank yous. Tom Bai, Miles Sweek, Kelly Gallup, Corinne and Garrison Doctor, thanks for taking the time and sharing your thoughts. Rep Your Water has a bunch of awesome new hats and gear coming out pretty soon. And a main reason I support Rep Your Water is because they donate 1% of their revenue to nonprofits focused on conservation. To date, we're at about 70000 total dollars. Um, and that's without the fourth quarter, which includes holiday sales, which is huge. Yeah, we're hoping to reach $50,000 in donations this year alone, which would be a big bar for us. But, um, you know, those donations have continued to grow and we've really continued to try to make those a priority. So uh, hopefully we can keep that, keep that going. Check them out at your local fly shop or repyourwater.com. Admittedly, this has been a pretty Western-centric episode. Good afternoon, this is Parker. So, I called up the Real Fly Rod Fly Shop in Dayton, Ohio, to hear about what's been going on in their neck of the woods. Hell yeah, so we're in Dayton, Ohio, which is southwestern Ohio, if you're familiar with the Midwest at all. You know, we are a warm water species area. You know, we're guiding smallmouth, largemouth. Uh, we also do, we have a nice stream, uh, stream called the River, uh, which is brown trout. Well, your smallmouth is kind of coming to an end, but you know, uh, myself, I'm a, you know, I'm a kind of fanatic on it. This is kind of the time of year to, you know, get baits down near the bottom, but you're pulling, you know, lunkers up. You know, you're pulling a little bit nicer fish. Um, the brown trout on our river is doing really well when the uh, when the water's up. The streamer fishing's really nice. Junkyard dogs to, you know, when the water's up, you can throw six, seven inch, you know, articulated patterns. When the water's down, because we're, we're at Spring Creek, um, so it gets real low and clear, and you'll throw, like, little muddlers, uh, um, you know, woolly buggers, that sort of thing. 
Um, if not, you know, regular nymphing, soft tackle, swing sort of stuff is is uh, is catching fish. Uh, we do a little bit with the steelhead alley, but if you wanted something for the Ohio and Pennsylvania, you know, area, I can put you in contact with a guy up there that I mean, I mean he. I mean, he makes a living off doing it sort of thing. So Parker hooked me up with somebody who had the intel. This is Patrick Robinson, Steelhead Alley Outfitters, and we guide in Ohio and Pennsylvania on Steelhead Alley. And I asked Patrick how the fishing has been lately. Season is uh, it's in full swing now. You know, we kind of had a rough early start, just uh, had a real dry late summer period. Uh, and that just uh, left no water in the streams for the steelhead to uh, to come in course we're getting in fall weather pattern now and so we are starting to see uh, a bit more rain we had quite a few guides on the water today we had a stellar day today out there with clients uh every every client got multiple fish me personally uh the sampling of fish that we actually put to hand today were were larger than normal uh which is always uh always good to see we like to see those big year classes come through and uh it's looking pretty good right now it uh it could all shape up to be a, a phenomenal fall Currently, uh, just because of the lower water conditions, everything that we're doing is pretty much indicator nymphing, combination of eggs and nymph patterns and some of our smaller custom steelhead streamer patterns uh, that we use under indicators like the uh, chicken little and that kind of thing. You know, as water levels start to uh, come up and and, uh, we've got a little bit more water to work with, we'll definitely be swinging for them. Before I let Patrick go, I asked him about the fine line between promoting his business and hotspotting the rivers that he fishes. (laughs) Well, uh, that's a fine line, my friend. <laughs> um, obviously, social media is, is the game of the day. So social media is is vitally important for, uh, I would say, a lot of the guys that are in the industry these days. Uh, as far as that line is considered, um, it, it's a fine line. I mean, you have to, and we do try and train our guides that when you're, when you're taking pictures, uh, you got to do it. Uh, in a certain manner so as to not highlight too much of the area that you're actually fishing in, um, giving up, you know, water that may be good for you, but also good for others. You know, it's not, it's not just our water. And that's important for us to understand. We're stewards of a, of a greater resource. It's not ours because, you know, we're, we're guides. It's water that a lot of anglers use. And uh, a lot of guys have gone out there and paid their dues to learn. And so uh, we try to not exploit that uh, in any way. You got to tread lightly. Um, you know, just be careful how you take your pictures and uh, blur things out if necessary. We always say shoot across stream as opposed to up and downstream. That, that, that always helps. Social media is definitely vitally important. There's a lot of people that, that watch our daily uh, activities and use that as a, as a, a gauge as to when to book, uh, when not to book. Um, you know, just keep a good pulse on what's going on in the alley. Thanks for the chat, Patrick. Excuse the hot spotting, but it sounds like things are heating up on Steelhead Alley. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.